Vitayu, welcome to this week's edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live every Wednesday from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. This is part one of three podcasts from this week's show. Oh, yeah, bro, darling. 
And Migrena from Edmonton, that is from a CD called Obstructive, and that was Cervona Ruta, the Red Rue, and that was a song made very popular back in the uh, 1970s by a um, popular composer and singer by the name of Volodymyr Ivasyuk, and he was brutally murdered by the KGB, tortured to death. His body was found um, in very brutal shape, and uh, he became a martyr, pretty much, and that song has really endured. It's kind of become an anthem um, in Ukraine, and uh, we'll be talking more about uh, this sort of thing that happened to him that's still going on in Ukraine, so stay tuned for that. Vitaya vas shanovni radio na radio programu Nash Holos. Radio Ukrajinskoho Korinja. Pre mikrofoni Pavlina Demčuk Makori. Dziakuju što rišala pre buti zimnoju nastupnu. A ne tilke oden hoden tilke dva hoden. And uh, this is Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Paulette Demčuk Makori, known as Pavlina here in Radio Land, and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM, downtown Nanaimo, broadcasting live. We've got a great program lined up for you. We've got a recipe by Sylvia Molnar with a very uh, seasonal, apropos uh, recipe, and also we've got uh, Renata Hananets with Ukrainian Jewish Heritage coming up. As well, we'll have several guests who will be updating us on the situation in Ukraine. And as usual, our proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And Migrena, uh, as I told you, opened up the program from Edmonton, and uh, that was a fairly recent recording. Um, we've got one that's brand new coming up next, though. This is hot off the presses. It is by a duo, a Ukrainian and Canadian duo, and I put the and in there rather than the hyphen because this is a duo that lives in Ukraine. One of the members is a Canadian from the Yukon, who's got actually no Ukrainian roots at all. She married a Ukrainian fellow, and they're now living in uh, Teranopol and um, Kremenets in Ukraine, and doing music, uh, dream pop and pop rock, very Variation, uh, all their own. They are called Umagma. And uh, Alex, who is the Ukrainian-born member of the group, has recently recorded um, a song, and it is in Ukrainian. And this is actually, strangely enough, a departure from what they usually do. His first Ukrainian recording, it is Krok. Here is Alex Kretov and Umagma. Enjoy. <laughs> Часть холодна, ніжнуть, світ стоїть. На краю я з одним яму в серці йду. Там, де наші заповідні сни, дивляться сни. Твоїх очах 
fuego ya sure to tune in to a new sound constitution with new hosts and fresh topics a health promoting show hosted by nursing students at vancouver island university we will be demystifying health issues separating fact from fiction and providing you information about health care options be sure to join us for our first show on thursday february 6th from 10 until 11 a.m on your very own chly radio 101.7 
bottles of vodka. Give me substance. A place to grow, a chance to dream. Kasha's nice, but we're still craving truth and right to rule the day. Thugs are chilling, fever's building, golden grains are turning gray. Oh, my sisters and my brothers, no exceptions, rule of law. One son fought, but he faltered. Go and find a better one. Twenty years, called it freedom. All the gods, corruption, fear. Beat the drum and, uh, and the silence. One great country loud and the drum that was baraban which means drum and that was our friend Steve Andrusiak and others and a song that was recently recorded um, about the Maidan and Baraban also is a very popular meeting place in Kiev where is which is the heart of the protests happening in Ukraine 
And uh, speaking of those protests, we have an update for you. Uh, we have on the line now the uh, president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Vancouver branch, and uh, his name is Mirko Petrio. And thank you so much, Mirko, for coming back and uh, joining us. Thank you, Paulette. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good, all things considered, and yourself. Uh, I'm not getting all that much sleep, I guess, but uh, actually things on the Maidan have quietened down, I mean, as far as the fighting is concerned. So on the actual Maidan or on Hrushevsky Street, uh, the fighting is, you know, has, has stopped. I mean, there's, there's still a standoff, but, but there's no actual battling. Uh, however, throughout the city... Uh, people are being uh, picked up uh, almost at random by police and, and, and arrested and so on. Um, so so it's, it's a little bit of chaos in the city. Actually, probably Maidan is probably the safest place to be right now. Really? Uh, a place where the government isn't, <laughs> isn't in control. Oh, my goodness. That's, now, yeah. that is alarming. Now, since you were on last week, things have really changed. There were, we were talking last week about the uh, draconian laws that were passed, uh, limiting uh, all basic human rights of freedom of assembly and speech and all the rest of that. Um, there were uh, barricades. There, and I think even shortly after we spoke, they were, there were groups of protesters taking over administrative um, centers ar- across the country, and that's like essentially taking over like legislatures, provincial legislatures yeah, so that, in Canada, that right? That's basically still happening. There's still attempts to take over legislatures, and it's, it's quite interesting that uh, pretty well all of western Ukraine, uh, the legislatures have been taken over. Uh, in addition, you know, the Communist Party has been banned in, in several of the... Um, and uh, and in fact, uh, the Party of Regions has been banned in a lot of the provinces, and in other provinces, the Party of Regions has disbanded itself. So so yeah, uh, outside of the actual Maidan, there's all kinds of activity. Um, however, in Kiev, most of the interesting uh, things are happening, uh, you know, in the government or in the legislature, if you wish. Uh, and uh, the Canadian press is finally picking up on some of this. Uh, so most of you would have read that uh, Prime Minister uh, Azarov has resigned. Now, he's been replaced by the Deputy Prime Minister, which really doesn't make things any better. Uh, Deputy Prime Minister Arbuzov is uh, famous for being the owner of the Ukrainian Bank of Development. Uh-huh. And the Ukrainian Bank of Development was sold to Yanukovych's son, Alexander, at the time that Mr. Arbuzov was made deputy, uh, vice, uh, vice, uh, deputy prime minister. Are you serious? This, this sounds oh, like, yeah. like real, this is, talk about optics, this is bad optics. They can't even do good optics. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, Alexander Yanukovych, the, the son of the president, uh, is a dentist. And in, in a six-month period uh, starting, uh, starting last April... Uh, to the fall, which is uh, the last time that Forbes did a uh, did, did an accounting, uh, he tripled his money from uh, 187 million to 510 million dollars, and that's dollars, not today. So dentistry obviously is very lucrative in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, dentistry, and I, and I guess the, the the bank suddenly tripled in value. I think. Well, well isn't that interesting? Major businesses, the bank being one of them now. Uh, so, so obviously, uh, you know, there, there's some magical things going on, and maybe we should all have our retirement funds in Ukraine. 
Alexander Yanukovych. Uh, he, wow. he is working some economical miracles uh, so, in his own pocket. Of, uh, course. of course, of course. So, what? <laughs> so, uh, what is happening then on the streets? Now, it's interesting. You said that uh, things are quiet on the Maidan. Uh, is this a calm before the storm? Uh, I have a feeling that we've got two things happening. One, Yanukovych is genuinely scared, and uh, and there is a lot of negotiating going on. At the same time, he may be playing for time. Uh, the the second issue is, is the one that we might want to worry worry about the most. But uh, let me deal with the first uh, okay. issue too. It, along with the prime minister resigning shortly after, the entire cabinet resigned which is wonderful until you realize that they resign and they stay at their posts. Uh, they stay at their posts for a maximum of 60 days until replaced. Uh, the cabinet positions have been offered to the opposition. Okay, uh, That sounds wonderful until you look at the Constitution and realize that the Constitution gives almost all the powers to the president and the cabinet basically uh, you know, brings him coffee. Well, no, they <laughs> they execute the, the, the president's orders. So, so there, there's there's not much power. The other thing, of course, is the Ukrainian uh, government's budget is is absolutely flat. They're broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not too many people would want to take a cabinet position uh, on a sinking ship like that. So. Uh, nobody as of yet uh, from the opposition has said, okay, yeah, here, here's our new cabinet. Uh, th- that is still in the works. That is still in the works. But, uh, you know, the main uh, requirements for President Yanukovych to leave has not been met. So, uh, so there's a, you know, they're, they're continuing to press that. Mirko, you know what I read just uh, this morning on, on Facebook? So somebody was uh, um, playing devil's advocate, perhaps, uh, on somebody's uh, friend's Facebook page and was saying that, uh, strangely enough, if um, a poll were taken today, uh, still Yanukovych would still be voted in by about a margin of about 30%, which is the highest. The next one, Klitschko, I think, is, is second in popularity at 22%. Mm. So the opposition still fractured, and uh, it is actually 30% is a considerable... Uh, I mean, well, elections I mean, in Canada have been have been won with that. Because usually the... The National Democratic opposition is usually three or more parties, uh, three right now major parties that we're talking about. And, of course, the, their opponent is one party. So, uh, yeah, that, that's always going to be a result. Now, keep in mind that in presidential elections there's a second runoff between the, the, the top two finishers in the first round of elections. Which so is in the different. Second runoff, you know that that number, of course, uh, you know that thirty percent advantage means nothing. Okay, so it's different yeah. than in in Canada where we have the first yeah, there, first past actually, the uh, post. Uh, two presidential elections. One, I mean, going back to two thousand four, I remember we had forty two presidential candidates. Oh, really? Was it that oh, yeah. many? <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. when I was observing there, uh, the the ballot was almost a a, a meter long, and hmm. you, you picked a candidate from from forty two on the list, and in the second round, it's the top two that uh, they face off against each other, and as you recall, back in 2004, it was Yushchenko against Yanukovych. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but in the first round, oh yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a free-for-all. Okay, yeah, uh, so, you know, and that, that really is still the case here, so, so that number in itself isn't all that scary. Uh, I read that Yanukovych's popularity in the East has dropped. 
Uh, I mean, he had about 80% popularity before, and it dropped to about 28%. Hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have an alternative candidate they would vote for. The tendency in the East is to vote for their own. So if it's if it's a local boy, even if he's unpopular, he'll still get the vote. Hmm. Uh, so so the, the popularity numbers and, and, and the voting numbers one would expect are, are totally different, so you have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, as I, as I started talking uh, initially, the, the playing for time is, is, is something that we should be concerned with. Uh, the, uh, the, the joker here, uh, so to speak, is, is Putin and the Russian Federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, formally and officially, they have uh, taken a hands-off position. Uh, although the, uh, rumors abound, and in some cases maybe more than rumors, maybe some maybe have been substantiated, that in actual fact Russian special forces dressed as Berkut have been doing a lot of the fighting all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, no different than some of the rumors uh, we heard in 2004 during, during that famous election that caused the... Uh, the Orange Revolution, hmm. uh, and you know, there's probably a lot of truth to uh, to that. It's very easy for them to do. I mean, in, in Crimea, they've got uh, in Sevastopol, they've got the Black Sea Fleet. They just uh, get the uh, the Marines to uh, the Russian Marines to, to to dress in Oman uniforms and send them up north. And in fact, Berkut from Crimea is in uh, in Kiev. So, so there's every possibility that that, that is a true rumor. Now, uh, however, uh, officially, Putin has said, you know what, the loan offer stays, uh, it's a loan to the Ukrainian people, not necessarily to the government, so even if the government changes, <laughs> the loan stays. Uh, oh. That's what Putin has been saying. He's, he's been pretending to play nice, keeping in mind that the Olympics are coming in, what, two weeks? Yeah, exactly, February 7th, uh, so less and, than and two weeks. the Olympics are, are the key here. Putin cannot do a, uh, a Georgia scenario. Uh, invade the country with Olympics happening in Sochi. So one would then expect that literally the day after the Olympics, we could see some 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 serious military action. Uh, my uh, my thoughts are some um, provincial governors who are under siege by the crowd would call for help uh, and call Putin to, to send in some troops, and, uh, and he'd be more than glad to do that. I mean, he did that in Ossetia, and he did sure. that in Abkhazia, in, in, in Georgia. So. But Georgia's still sovereign. Georgia is sovereign, but two provinces of Georgia are, are fully occupied by the Russian military and are, you know, claim to be sovereign on their own and huh. recognized by, you know, I think Russia and Uganda or something, something spectacular like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the world really, world hasn't recognized the independence mm-hmm. of either southern Ossetia or, or Abkhazia. Uh, and keep in mind that Abkhazia is 50 kilometers from Sochi, so. <laughs> uh, interesting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the Sochi Olympics are, uh, are, are a very interesting uh, factor here. Uh, one has to wonder why Putin would have chosen Sochi as a site of the Olympics and, uh, and, and spent $51 billion on facilities there. And I mean dollars, and I do, do mean billion. It's more money than anybody has ever spent uh, on any Olympics. And I think in Putin's mind, uh, if everybody comes to the Olympics in Sochi, I think it's, a, it's an approbation, it's a confirmation that Russian imperial policy is okay, because Sochi is not all that far from Chechnya. Hmm. It is on land that uh, the Russian czars uh, ethnically cleansed of the, of the Circassian nation that no longer exists. It is 50 kilometers from Abkhazia, which is 
a spectacular case of ethnic cleansing. Uh, the province had a, a, over a quarter million people two decades ago. 200,000 of them are now internal refugees in Georgia. They're ethnic Georgians, and there's 50,000 quote-unquote Abkhaz uh, in Abkhazia today, so it's, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's a very empty place right now. Mirko, we've got a minute before I yeah. have to take a break, uh, but I did want to just ask you very briefly your thoughts on the fact that Putin is telling the EU to not meddle in Ukrainian affairs, which I think is fairly hypocritical. Of course, because he's been doing that for, uh, for, for, for decades. Now, how can he, do, how can he pull uh, this and, off? You know, I think it's time for the EU to make a very clear statement uh, that Putin shouldn't be meddling uh, in Ukrainian affairs and make that statement before the Olympics because after the Olympics may be too late. Okay, should be, should, you know, there's uh, all this, uh, you know, would, should, could and all that, but reality, um, how likely is the European Union to do that? And if, if what if, if Putin ignores the EU and just does it anyways? Is anybody going to do anything? And what, what can anybody do? And actually, we're going to talk about that. everybody of uh, the 8th of August uh, 2008 when Russia invaded Georgia, and everybody just kind of shielded their eyes and pretended not to see, and they were very busy watching the beginning of the Beijing Olympics. Oh, very interesting uh, time. Kind of curious yeah. we've got Olympics yeah. coming up yeah. uh, this year also. Miracle, we've got to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about uh, what other countries can do, in particular Canada, in light of the conversation that we had yeah. la- yesterday. And this is Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, back with you. I'm Pavlina, and on the line we have Mirko from Vancouver. He's with the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, and uh, we were just about to, to talk. Uh, Mirko, you're about to uh, get, share your thoughts on the conference call that uh, that we were on yesterday with um, the uh, two ministers, John Baird, who I believe is Foreign Affairs, and Chris Alexander, who is the new Multiculturalism Minister. Uh, right. Uh, in fact, I, I think it was Alexander that probably turned out to be the most uh, the most impressive. I've uh, I've since heard comments that he he look he looks very uh, prime ministerial. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, it was it was an interesting teleconference. Uh, essentially, uh, I think we heard all the right things. Uh, Canada has imposed uh, personal sanctions on the selected uh, characters there from the Ukrainian government. Uh, and, and these would be travel restrictions, visa restrictions, things like that. Uh, agreed that it's a slap on a wrist, but it's a signal. And, and if Canada is taking a lead, uh, other countries will, uh, you know, will, will be more than glad to follow. Uh, there are other sanctions that can be taken. Uh, Canada is more, more than aware of, uh, of what else it can do. It, it's holding that in reserve. Uh, the answer to the question that we got from the minister was, Canada wants to give itself the option of escalating its sanctions rather than playing all its cards at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, you know I, I, I assume that week by week we can then escalate the sanctions step by step to, to whatever the maximum is, I guess, you know, freezing accounts and whatever, if there are any in Canada. I don't know whether they have any assets in Canada. Yeah, a lot of people are actually screaming about that, and I, I think that that is a fallacy. And uh, somebody had had said that Canada is not exactly a tax haven, uh, so anybody, you know, so assets would be, uh, you know, in offshore banks, the Cayman Islands, Switzerland, other places like that. 
Right. So, but, but still, it, again, that would be the right signal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Canada's position is that, that they want to leave something in hand for, for purposes to escalate the pressures. Um, so, you know, as far as what the Canadian government can do, we're, we're, we're probably doing quite well right now. The only thing that I would suggest is we, we've got to keep in mind that the, uh, the elephant in the room is still uh, Putin and the Russian Federation. Yeah, they and, yeah they they didn't skirt they yeah. skirted your question about that actually yeah, I yeah, noticed that, that question wasn't wasn't answered other than I believe it was Minister Alexander that uh, answered by saying that there is no way they're going to let the shadow of the USSR return to any part of Ukraine. That was encouraging to hear. That was so, encouraging yeah. to hear, and that's uh, that, that was that was very well said. Yeah. You know, without. Given away anything, but but I think uh, I think the world has got a signal uh, quite uh, quite clearly that uh, no, there won't be any military assistance or any military intervention uh, in Ukraine, and you know, we won't stand for it. And, and, and certainly, uh, you know, Russia won't do it before the Olympics. <laughs> Mind you, the uh, Georgian War in 2008 started on the day of the opening ceremonies in Beijing. So, uh, so beware of opening ceremonies in Sochi. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Although I would have to say that the Georgia, the situation in Georgia was really not in anybody's radar. I mean, every, pretty much everyone I, I talk to now knows that at least something, is, some kind of unrest is happening in Ukraine. They don't, you know, may not know the details. They don't know the history, whatever. But pretty much everyone has heard of it. Where, um, as I recall, anyways, back in 2008, um, you and I were talking about Georgia and a few people on you know facebook and uh you know in our little circle and an email but there wasn't very much uh reported in fact many people still feel that um russia was justified in going there well i mean uh, we're supposed to believe that uh georgia a country of five and a half million attacked uh, the russian federation <laughs> and were a big threat to the russian federation of 140 million people plus nukes uh, it's amazing the kind of spin that the disinformation machine can can put on these events. Yeah, yeah, and of course uh, Ukraine is suffering from that too. I was just having a, a conversation this morning on on Facebook, and uh, you know, going on about this old anti-Semitism saw when well, we just actually, we dealt with it last a, week. An answer to that right now. What's and that? The answer to that, uh, quite surprisingly, came from the Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles. The chief curator uh, issued a uh, or published an article in the Jewish Journal that basically is is totally pro-Ukrainian. <laughs> I mean, it, mm. it was a, it's a shocker. It, 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 it's a real shocker, and I'm, I'm just uh, hoping to uh, to find it right now, one-handed. And unfortunately, I, I have a setup where I have these two hands on the mouse. Here we are. Uh, it was an opinion piece in a, Jew- a Jewish journal published, uh, I guess it was the day before yesterday. Yes, I, I recall that. And yeah. uh, it was very much... It, it Thank you, sir. We care about Ukraine, and it was written by Dr. Vladimir Melamed, uh-huh. uh, who is uh, you know, kind of the chief curator of the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, that was very encouraging to see, because we did do a feature last week here on uh, Nash Holos, our Ukrainian Jewish Heritage feature, and we had Volodya, who works at the Jewish Heritage Museum in Lviv, um, tell us um, re- what the real situation is. And, you know, he, he challenges whole thing is, yeah, there are a few extreme 
Christmas. They'd had some kind of a stupid vetetep, uh, little uh, Christmas skit, um, which, you know, for centuries had, had de- depicted, uh, you know, Jews as, as less than, um, well, in a derogatory manner. And, uh, you know, I mean, that is unfortunate that they did that because that was stupid. But it didn't mean that all of Svoboda and all of Maidan was anti-Semitic. And, and, you know, this is the whole issue is you got a few people that are trying to paint a few extremists as the majority and thereby discredit the, the whole protest movement. And, and uh, I mean, that's just, that's so standard. It's been going on for so long. And it's, it's just odd and disappointing that it's continuing to go on. Right. Uh, and going back to this particular article that, that I started talking about, uh, you know, the, the author reminds everybody that you know, Zionism is Jewish nationalism, and uh, you know, it suggests like Jewish nationalism built the, 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 Israeli, uh, the country of Israel. Uh, so that so Ukrainian nationalism has has to build Ukraine. So he's uh, <laughs> he, he's made that that, that brilliant discovery <laughs> that uh, that there is a, an equivalence here. You know, so, so anybody who's uh, pro-Zionist, for example can't possibly be anti-Ukrainian nationalism because the, the two are parallel. Exactly. It's very nice to, yeah. to, for that, uh, to oh, have yeah. seen I, I that. It was, yeah. it, it was very well said. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly we don't need to, to fight on, uh, on additional fronts. Uh, one's enough right now. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's uh, hope for um, peaceful resolution. Uh, well, it won't be peaceful because it's, it's turned violent. There have been several people have actually died already, and many, many more are missing. Missing, as you mentioned, people are still going missing. They're being snatched out of their homes and off the streets. Um, so, I guess obviously you still won't be getting a whole lot more sleep. Miracle, you'll be keeping an eye on things and uh, look forward to having you back on the show again to keep us updated. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Mirko Petrio, the president. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. And uh, this is Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, and I was speaking with the president of the, Van- of the Vancouver branch of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Mirko Petriu. This is the end of part one of three podcasts of this week's edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out parts two and three for the rest of the show. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.